0: this is hearts of oak podcast free speech religious disagreement children's rights and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights join us let's keep the conversation going hello hearts of oak i just had a great interview with jason jones coming up in a moment. For those of you in the UK, Jason is a wealth of knowledge and experience looking at the border, the US border, the southern border. And we discussed the whole area of transnational crime, people trafficking off the border and why it's not completely shut, the demand for drugs and drug cartels operating from Mexico across there. I mean, so much and most of it I had no idea about. So I certainly learned a lot listening to him. Jason brings a wealth of knowledge from his background on the border overseeing the border control on the texas border and i think over the last two or three years he's now left out and gone public to try and highlight this uh, the failings in the system to try and highlight the drug cartels and how this can be fixed because this is a massive problem that affects and blights millions of people's lives and uh, it needs to be fixed and jason ends looking at solutions and looking how you fix this problem so it's not all a doom and gloom but actually we do end looking at a positive note so i know you will enjoy this interview as much as i did and hello hearts of oak thank you once again for joining us and we are once again going across the pond over stateside to the u.s and it's absolutely wonderful to have jason jones join us today jason thank you for your time
1: Peter, it's good to be with you, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Not at all. We're going to look at a subject we haven't really looked at before at all, uh, which is your porous, completely open border there on the southern part of the US along Mexico. But before we start, you can... Obviously, Jason's website is up there, jasonjones.com. And I absolutely love the video you have at the front of that helicopter. I would happily go up with you in that helicopter, that video you have. So um, it it gets the the juices flowing and enthusiasm about the subject simply from looking at that video for the first 10 seconds. So it's really well done. But Jason, we want to talk about the issue on the border, immigration open border and how it affects kind of people trafficking and the drugs uh, issue you yeah. have there. But maybe we can just go back a little bit. And your, your background of, uh, on your website, retired captain from the Texas Department of Public Safety, Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division, that is a mouthful. Uh, you managed a daily operation for the Texas Rangers Border Security Operations Centre. And there's a lot in that. But maybe how did you come to be involved um, in the whole area of security, border control. What kind of got you into that initially as a career?
1: Sure. My, my stepfather was a Houston police officer. He was a detective there. And when he retired, he moved to the hill country. And I can tell you, since I was about seven or eight years old, I knew I was going to be in law enforcement. And that's exactly really what happened right out of high school. I went to work for the Hayes County Sheriff's department, which is a sheriff's department, uh, pretty much in central Texas. And then went to the state police, which is the Texas Department of Public Safety, moved nine different times across the state of Texas, including a station in El Paso as a highway patrolman, including 1290 miles to the other side of that border in Brownsville, Texas, as an undercover narcotics agent. I spent most of my time in the clandestine services and uh, I led two major drug squads in Laredo, Texas, as the war is. Uh, the Los Zetas and Cartel de Gafo broke out and we had that spillover violence coming in and then finally made my way back to headquarters and ran, managed one of the largest fusion centers in the country at the Texas Fusion Center. And then from there, uh, commanded the Texas Rangers Border Security Operations Center. And I've got to tell you, Peter, I was so frustrated in 2016 that what was happening in Mexico to Mexican citizens and to migrants and how these cartels were absolutely just killing them. So what happened to me is that, you know, I was commanding operations with the Cross Border Operations Center, the Texas Rangers Border Security Operations Center, and building programs to try to help save lives in Mexico before these cartels uh, were doing such horrific things to Mexican citizens and to migrants that I went. I retired and went public and decided that if we didn't fix this problem, that exactly what we're seeing now today was going to get, come here. And I've been exactly right. I mean, it didn't take any rocket scientists to figure out that what was happening in Mexico was going to come here if we did not secure the southwest border. And if you look at the level of spillover violence and the murders that have been taking place in the United States yeah. and the level of failure of fentanyl, Um, You know, I can tell you, I know these cartels very, very well. They will not stop until they are stopped. And it's going to take outside forces to come in and do it. And I can tell you that as somebody that has sat down with leadership of these cartels, who has debriefed them, who has had them working for me within law enforcement uh, to try to, you know, help save lives in Mexico, they will tell you that they're out of control and that they've got to be stopped.
0: So tell us why you went public. You're you're working there as as part of the uh, as part of the the, the barrier, the force to, to protect the southern US border. Um and why was it something specific that pushed you to then say I need to now inform the public of what is happening?
1: Well, I was in a very unique position. I mean, Washington is pretty far from the border, and you know we've we've trained a lot of federal agencies on on what yeah. was taking place. And what really happened here, Peter, that most Americans are not even aware of, never mind people on the other side of the of the planet, is that the Mexican cartels are not drug trafficking organizations anymore. That's something they do. Mm. It is not what they are. They have migrated from two thousand and six from what they really were, which was organized crime, and then as President Calderon in Mexico began using their military to go after them. That's where the insurgency started in 2006. From there, as the Los Zetas, a very hyperviolent cartel who were special forces, former special forces, many of them in the beginning, uh, evolved, they fell into terrorism as you saw the mass murders being committed in Mexico like San Fernando where they killed 72 migrants a Linde where they killed 300 men, women and children, cut them into pieces and then burned them to ash, known as what is a guiso, or it's a process in which they kill people and then, and then dissolve the bodies, or where we see them today, where they went from terrorism directly into a parallel government. So the way we, they, we look at them today and we categorize them is that they're truly a parallel government in Mexico. And it's not a US-Mexico problem, as you hear from most so-called experts who read a lot, who've never sat down and talked to them. You know, Sinaloa cartel is in 54 countries around the world. Cartel Jalisco, new generation, is in over 48. So this is not a U.S.-Mexico problem. They are a global problem, and they truly are terrorist organizations, and we need to treat them based on their actions, what they're doing in Mexico, and what they're doing to people all over the world, not just the United States.
0: Well, I want to go down the discussing the drug side, but uh, I think... start off with the actual border. Um, You have a a very long border across deserts. Uh, Here in the UK we're an island and that should provide us with a level of of natural protection, uh, if only our government actually wanted to use that well. But over there you have got a huge border, obviously with, with Canada and Mexico. Mexico's the the one that seems to be causing the U.S. most trouble. But tell us, when you look at the current situation as someone who's been there on the ground, um, what are your thoughts on how it's kind of got to the stage where it is, where you have such a porous border?
1: Sure, and I, I think it's a great question. So of the two 2000- thousand miles along the southern border. Texas has 1,290 of it. Wow. But but you hear the term uh, that the cartels have operational control of the southern border in the United States. If you notice, though, these pundits never tell you how they have operational control and what has happened. What you mostly hear from the media is that this is an immigration issue. That's not a lie either, it, but it's one layer of multiple layers uh, that are impacting the United States as a direct result of the failure to secure the southwest border. what the cartels do very well is they utilize a network known as the Halcon network or Falcon or lookout network. and I can tell you as somebody that knows how these networks work very well, they check on and off just like law enforcement. Some work eight hours, some work ten hours, some work twelve hour shifts, and they use two way handheld encrypted radios or they 'll use cell phones with encrypted apps, and they communicate to what is known as synthral central would be like their command post some are mobile some are stationary depending upon which cartel you're talking about but they are operating in south texas i've seen them as far as 30 miles into the country in arizona where i am right now i'm just outside of scottsdale i've seen them you know as far as 50 miles into the united states and that is how they control that southwest border so that when there's no law enforcement present they shoot the gap with whatever commodity they want now commodities today can be everything from men, women, and children. It can be weapons going south, it can be ammunition going south, or it can be drugs moving north. But the movement and flow of goods in what they call a gate, a gate meaning that uh, whichever group or whichever Halcon network is controlling certain gates, they'll say this gate is open, this gate is shut. And they treat it just like that on the radios when they're talking. And I can tell you that as somebody that's monitored these radios for many, many years. that is how they have operational control. The problem is most people are not aware of it. So then from that, that is why they fight for control of the plazas and the municipalities on the Mexico side. Because if you control that space on the Mexico side, then you can control the gates along the border. And that's why the cartels battle in Mexico for control of those different plazas. Because then you have control of all commodities, illicit and legitimate, that move through those zones.
0: So is it impossible for the mexican government to actually get a grip you've seen different administrations and all oh, we said we're going to clamp down as over in colombia as well and it's it's a lot of talk and then you read about all these people suddenly losing their lives getting shot and you think actually is it is it is it worth it so i mean when you look at over the border into mexico is it how is it possible, I guess, for the politicians to actually change it?
1: Well, it's a great question. But if we were sitting down right now and you and I were talking to a cartel boss and we said to him, what is the difference between the Mexican government and the cartels? They would laugh and they would say there is no difference. It's mm. one and the same because the level of corruption has gotten so high within the Mexican government now that that's why you see the ALO administration under the the current president, Andrés Manuel López Obrador, um, working side by side with them. Look, no one wants to have these conversations and say it publicly to the American people because it doesn't look good that one of our number one trading partners, which is Mexico, just to the south of us, you know, has fallen to you know, they're a narco state at this point. And that's the real truth of it. If you look at the last national election that happened in Mexico, they had 132 murders of people who were elected officials, people who were running for office or staffers. Wow. You, can look, you can look that up. It's publicly. It's well knowledgeable. But yet that's not communicated. The other problem you have is that it's not real smart to report about what's happening in Mexico because look mm. at the amount of journalists that are executed and killed. So, you know, we've got to have a real honest conversation, not only as Americans, uh, news media, but people all over the world as to what these cartels are doing. Because I'll be very frank with you, if, if anyone's watching from the UK right now and you're thinking you're immune, uh, you are not. These cartels are operating all over the world.
0: It kind of seems as though our governments have accepted that this is just part of the world today. I mean, I was... I, was, I, I couldn't believe it whenever I was over stateside first time in many years back in April and, and going to LA and seeing people just line all over the footpaths uh, and seeing a, a problem which is out of control. And when I saw it for the first time, it made me quite angry that that's the situation. But is there a, is there a lack of anger? Is there just an acceptance of this as part of life now?
1: Well, I think it's a great a great point and a great question the One of the real issues that we have is that the immigration issue has been so you know it's been such a headbutting issue in the United States for forty plus years right that immigration layer has masked all of the other index crimes impacting Americans for too long and it has it has become the ideology that if you're if you talk about the border, then immediately you're talking about immigration. Well, let's just let's just say the immigration issue is fixed for a second for the United mm-hmm. States. Let's just take immigration out of it. You are still stuck with terrorists crossing the southwest border. Uh, in, in the last year, 137, by the way, known terrorists to have crossed the southern border in, in into the United States. You're still stuck with fentanyl. You are still stuck with the impact of transnational crime, methamphetamine, weapons trafficking, money laundering, extortion. I mean the list goes on but in the national media it doesn't hit the narrative of you know what a certain politician wants to believe and i will be very frank with you whether you are republican in the united states or democrat they all look at the border through the lens of immigration and i can tell you that as somebody that meets with them privately because most of them are being briefed by whatever news they're watching because one of the first questions i ask just so you know peter is when i meet with these folks now i say when was the last time you were briefed, either classified or unclassified by the U.S. intelligence agencies or law enforcement? You'd be stunned. Most of them have never been briefed on what is happening with the cartels and the impact of transnational crime. And so that's why you are feeling uh, and you know, the world is hearing about how the United States is being overrun with uh, poisonings from fentanyl directly linked to two major cartels, the Sinaloans and the cartel Jalisco New Generation.
0: It, it is I think it's also part of the problem, the I guess, glorification of the industry. I mean, I um I really enjoyed watching Breaking Bad on Netflix. I I watched narcos on Netflix and it seems that a level of glamorizing something which is brutal and destroying whole countries. Is is that part of the problem that the maybe again the public don't see it as a, a real issue?
1: I think it's a great point. You know, the the cartel's propaganda machines are absolutely incredible. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've watched Narcos. It's a good show. But, you know, I, I also think of, you know, the men, women, and children who have been brutally killed by these monsters. And I truly call them that, you know, to call them an animal. Animals don't do what they do to people where they burn their faces off while they're alive, where they cut their heads off with chainsaws or dull knives, where they, you know, cut their heart out of their chest and then eat it. You know, I, I can tell you stories of things that I've seen that these animals have done. And that's exactly why when I retired from law enforcement, I began trying to get them designated as foreign terrorist organizations and to focus the United States toward what this problem really is at the southwest border, much broader than just the lens of immigration. Because I will tell you, there's been a clandestine war going on down there for a very long time. And this is all coming out. I mean, you know, that's the great thing about the natural course of time truth still matters, and truth is eventually revealed. And what has been hidden from the American public, what's been hidden from the Mexican uh, citizens, and you know, they have been impacted way more than Americans in many ways. You know, I don't know if a lot of folks in the UK are aware. Mexican citizens since 2006 have lost over 340,000 of their citizens to these cartels. Think of that. So, you know, I watch these shows like Narcos and I see the glamorization of these of these crooks and these, these people, and they are monsters and they need to be dealt with and they are going to be dealt with. And let me tell you, it's going to be a dark day for them because eventually the countries of the, of the world are going to unite and the very best of the best are coming for them, for what they've done to so many people.
0: When you said there should be designated terrorist organizations, how at the moment is it simply that... Um, I mean, how, how are they viewed? How are they designated? How are they seen within, I guess, U.S. law enforcement uh, and the country if, if they're not regarded as terrorists?
1: Well, that's the problem. Uh, they're looked upon as criminals because we've been dealing with the cartels through a drug nexus only, you know, prior to fentanyl, you know, mostly marijuana. You got to remember, most of these guys were marijuana traffickers three decades ago, and then they got into cocaine, heroin, and other things. But at the, at the end of the day, the level of violence and the level of control—they were organized crime. The problem is that this evolution that I walked you through a little while ago, where they went from organized crime into an insurgency, into terrorism, and, and then into where we see them today as a parallel government, has even in the United States not really been quite understood. And so we still look at the border through the lens of immigration and as a as a you know a marijuana drug trafficking problem. Well, as we legalize marijuana, the cartels adjusted. And that's exactly why they got into fentanyl. You know, I don't know how it is in the UK, but I can tell you in the United States, fentanyl was never an issue in this country until 2015. Why? Wow. Because China began pushing uh, fentanyl into the US via the mail service. When the cartel saw a gap there, they began getting chemical precursors sent uh, into Mexico. They were already doing that, working with China for methamphetamine. They, the Sinaloans had taken over the meth market, then CJMG took over uh, getting chemical precursors sent. And then what did the Sinaloans do? They adjusted, began getting 4A NPP and NPP sent from China, began creating the pill mills in Mexico, and then pushing deadly fentanyl. And if you look at how they've weaponized fentanyl today, they truly have weaponized it. It's gone from regular fentanyl now to parafentanyl, and now where we see it is serifentanyl. And for the folks that are watching, in order to make those changes, you have to change the analogs and the production model of it. And they hired chemists, Sinaloan specifically, right out of uh, different universities to run their labs, to change the analogs, to make more deadly strains and, and levels of fentanyl. So, you know, these are the stories that mostly have not gotten out. And so when we talk about the weaponization of fentanyl on the American people and really on Mexican citizens and many other nations around the world, The Sinaloans are responsible for that change. And yet, what have we done to go after them to fix this? Nothing. What is the United States government and other governments doing to hold the Mexican government accountable? Very little, if anything. And you know that that because you're not hearing about their labs being hit uh, all over the country of Mexico.
0: And are there stories about countries you think of um colombia also being extremely big in the in the the drug industry but i guess mexico has an advantage with a customer next door uh but what when you look at other countries are there other countries in latin and south america that have had this issue but have managed to i guess defeat it so it's no longer a blight on their economy
1: I wouldn't say they've completely defeated it. You know, I, I think that transnational crime evolves and we've seen that evolution, not just in Mexico, but throughout Central and South America as well. I'll give you a great example of that. Um, drug. The drug trade is one part of it, right? This adjustment that we have seen as a result of this mass migration in the United States has driven what was human smuggling into the realm of human trafficking at unprecedented levels. So like any, under criminal underworld, they will evolve to whatever's going to make them money, and so we're right. seeing massive pivots and changes like we've never seen. From not only drug trafficking, where they're you know moving and changing the analogs of fentanyl and into the, these new this new world like xylazine and other drugs that most even Americans are not familiar with that are that are emerging and coming online, but then the adjustment from smuggling. So, that, so just so the folks know that are watching, smuggling is where you have an agreement between a, a person and a smuggler to be moved voluntarily from point A to point B, right? So I pay you for that transaction and you move me from here to there. Within the human trafficking world, most folks are familiar with the commercial sex part of it, but there are, are two other uh, parts of that, and that's forced labor and debt bondage. Well, many of these smugglers now are charging such extraordinary fees on migrants that, you know, what used to cost 50 bucks to 100 bucks to be moved from point A to point B now may cost you thousands, if not wow. tens of thousands. So, well, none of these migrants have that money. So now they're indebted to a criminal organization in a foreign country for years to come. When this all comes out and it's going to, I mean, at the end of the day. These kind of tectonic shifts can't be masked. And so we have a, in the United States, we've had 863,000 people in the last three months. Let me say that again, 863,000 people encountered just by U.S. Customs and Border Protection coming into the United States. We're going to see a shift within the human smuggling to the trafficking of people like this country has never seen. And I truly call it America's new slave trade because that's where we are.
0: When when you've got those numbers, um, and as much as I want to kick the Democrats, this is, uh, I want to talk about the issue, not about the, the politics. But when you've got uh, politicians that seem to think this is wonderful, the more people, the better. And they, they don't seem to be aware of the misery that's involved. And for some reason, they think this is a, a positive issue. Uh, and it, it's not simply, this isn't about people fleeing war, like uh, the argument in the UK, people coming from Syria or the Middle East. It's yeah. economic, and that's plain to see. So why is, there not, why is there not the anger amongst politicians of, I guess, the injustice that's happening? And why are they promoting it and encouraging it to such a scale?
1: Well, I, I think it's a fantastic question, and you're absolutely right. Despite all the politics of what's being said, most of the migrants that are coming are economic migrants. They've made it to where if you wanna come to the United States, you can come here with exception of four countries right now. So the world has heard that, the long haul smugglers, the alien smuggling organizations and the Mexican cartels from the border all the way around the world are pushing out on social media. If you wanna go to the United States, now's your time. So that, 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 that calling has gone out and folks are coming in and you see it in the data. So there's one part of it. The other issue you have is that this is the criminal underworld, right? And they don't illuminate those crimes until those crimes are illuminated. So now you've got a very large scale part of the national media that doesn't wanna cover it. And those of us that do wanna cover it, it's very difficult. You have to partner with law enforcement. You have to be able to understand what law enforcement is dealing with and then have approval to embed with them to illuminate it, to get it out. And that's what I do. Uh, My background being in law enforcement, understanding how these cartels and these smugglers operate, Um, I never planned on being a journalist. That was never part of the vision. My goal was to change U.S. policy to save lives. That's still my vision. So what I do now as a journalist is I go out and I embed with law enforcement and I show what those men and women are going through and what they're dealing with, which is exactly why. Uh, We're able to really get down there and show you the level of human smuggling, trafficking and drug trafficking that's taking place. Because, you know, I'm a firm believer if we tell people something of what's happening, we've all been lied to across the board for so long. But if I go down there and I show it to you, then you can see it yourself and believe it.
0: It kind of seems that the cartels are always one step ahead. I mean, is it true that the authorities are basically permanently playing catch up?
1: Well, let's talk about what is a cartel, first of all, because I think this is going to stun a lot of your your viewers. You know, most people think that a cartel is a drug trafficking organization and or that they're a gang. And you need to know that when you hear the term that the cartels are a gang, that immediately that so-called professor or academia uh, uh, person who has all this experience knows nothing of them. Mm -hmm. They are not a gang. I want to be very clear on that. What a cartel is and what cartel means is agreement. The problem is, Peter, it's been bastardized. And so those criminal underworld groups who are able to bring more and more of them together become very large. Sinaloans, for example, if you looked at the different groups that are a part of the Sinaloa cartel, you'd be stunned. It it is not one cell, one criminal organization. It is generational families. It is different groups in the United States, different groups all over that make up the Sinaloa cartel. So these, these organizations are very large, thousands of them, and they have lawyers, they have accountants, they are run like a company. And if we were sitting down with them right now, Peter, if we were talking to them, they would not say, you know, our cartel this and our cartel that. That's what Americans call them. And that's what the, the news media and, you know, uh, different shows like to say. They call it the company. Yeah. And when you sit down and you talk to them about the level of violence that is happening in their, in their country right now, They'll say, man, we need to get back to business, and we need to get back to the company. That's how they talk about it. But they also know that now that is too far gone because of the level of enforcement wings that they have to have to stop their rivals, that this thing's just gotten too far out of control. Uh,
0: what does it bring money into those countries? I'm thinking that this becomes kind of the economy for the country. Does yeah. it – then benefit, is that regarded as, well, you don't have tourism, but, hey, you've got drugs, and that brings in something? Is, is that completely missing the point, or is that part of the equation?
1: I, I think it's part of the equation today the because there's so much dirty money now flowing uh, into Mexico, not only through recidivism of people who have, who have come through the country, but you know the takeover and the amount of money of human smuggling they're making, the trafficking of people, they're making the drug traffic. I mean, the criminal underworld. You know, when we talk about the Mexican cartels today, you can't compare uh, Colombia to them today. You can't compare what's happening in some of these uh, countries in Central America. They are the most dominant figures. And I, I, look, I say it publicly all the time. I say it privately. What the people of the United States are witnessing is the largest U.S. intelligence failure since 9-11. Peter, I'll, I'll say it again. And I will say it until the U.S. intelligence agencies know that their failure is going to be identified day in, day out. These are people that I worked with for a very long time and who I hold a lot of respect for. But we have to be very frank and very honest that they have failed, and they have failed, I mean, incredibly to the American people. When we can lose 100,000 citizens to deadly fentanyl, and the American public has no idea how this happened, there are many reasons for it. But when there's not a terrorist organization in the world that has killed that many Americans, never mind Mexican citizens, never mind people all over the world. And I, I you know, I warn leaders of countries all the time from Russia to the UK, I, I'll tell you a great story. In 2016, I met with the head of Europol, and this directly impacts your, your audience. And uh, I was in New York, I was at an intelligence conference, and Mr. Rainwater was there who used to be the head of Europol. and. He asked for a briefing on the Mexican cartels and they said, well, hell, they said, sir, we have the guy here. And he says, Jason's here. He he commands the Rangers Border Security Operations Center. And I'd worked very closely with NYPD Intelligence Division at the time under uh, Commissioner Ray Kelly. And so they asked, hey, would I mind briefing uh, Mr. Rainwater on the cartels? I said, absolutely. So we went away and we had a briefing privately. And I'll never forget this the rest of my life, Peter. He said to me he says jason do you know why i requested this briefing and i said no sir he said because when we see violence in europe directly linked to drug trafficking it's usually involving the mexican cartels with that violence and at that point i knew that drugs were coming to you guys i knew that it was pouring into the uk what i didn't know is that violence was also being associated there as we were seeing here and just so everyone knows, that was at the end of 2016, a few months before I retired. So it's an example of how long this has been taking place and how long this has been occurring.
0: Um, obviously, having a secure border is is not the, I mean, you've got demand as well. But complaining about the Democrats uh, increasing that demand, the issue is in Texas, supposedly a Republican state, and... If if that's on your border, if that's the threat you face, then you do whatever it's irrelevant who's in the White House. Um that's your state. And if you're a Republican governor, Republican uh Senate, Republican House, and, and you want strong borders, then you'll do that. Why why is that not happened in Texas?
1: Well, there are many reasons why there this transnational problem has, has been able to amass the way it has, and I, I truly mean that, it's, it's one of, never mind the ideology part of the immigration issue, there's a whole other par- problem, and that is that the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation in the United States, has utilized a system known as the Uniform Crime Report, and it captures murder, it captures manslaughter, it captures theft, robbery, um, burglary, and sexual assault about eight, what we call eight index crimes. And you say, well, hell, that kind of covers it, right? Well, everything you and I discuss today, Peter, uh, drug trafficking. In the United States, we've been in a supposed war on drug trafficking for 60 years, yet amongst 18,000 law enforcement agencies. We don't collect how much narcotics is seized. Extortions, public corruption, uh, money laundering, weapons trafficking, uh, ammunition trafficking, I mean, and the list goes on, transnational crime of itself. And I don't know how the UK, uh, whether you guys are tracking transnational crime as well, but that's been our problem. So if we have a murder in the United States directly linked to the cartels, it's not linked to a cartel, it's linked to a murder that occurred. So we at least capture it, but we don't capture it to transnational crime. So all the other things that I've talked to you about today is part of the masking That's been allowed to take place where we in the United States, we blame Republicans. We blame Democrats. At the end of the day, if you can't get the little things right, you are never going to get the big things right. And we are working like we did in the 1960s and not looking at the impacts of transnational crime. So people aren't lying in fairness, Peter. When I was going to Washington and dealing with the intelligence agency, sitting down at uh, the Reagan building in CBP headquarters, dealing with these leaders. And I would say, man, we've got problems on the Southwest border. And you've heard from all the governors, you've heard from all of the different sheriffs, you've heard from all of the different law enforcement leaders along the border region, and they're all screaming. And the people in the North are saying, we hear you, but we don't see it. They weren't lying either, Peter. What was happening is that the data collected by the Uniform Crime Reporting System and the failure of the FBI leadership is what was say, what was validating in them that crime was not rising. Yet on the border, we were feeling it in our in our communities. So that system of not capturing or having the ability to capture the impacts of transnational crime has been a major player in what has been allowed to happen to the American people. Then you overlay that with the failure of the media to do their job. And I'll just be very frank with you, as somebody is a part of the media today, you know, there's there's a lot of failures there as well. So That's a big part of what's taking place. I can tell you this from the Texas side to answer your question specifically to Texas. Texas has a system known as the Unified Command. I helped build it. I know it very well. And it's why Texas law enforcement under Operation Lone Star and Governor Abbott have been able to acquire $4 billion to hold the line at the border with 12,000 Texas National Guardsmen deployed along with Texas Department of Public Safety and many other state and local agencies. But the issue is we're looking at it through the lens of immigration. They're not stopping immigration, but they are stopping the the pursuits, the bailouts, the drug trafficking. I mean, they're working that very vigorously. And when you work the border like I do, and I'm down here every other week, whether I'm in Arizona, whether I'm in Texas, wherever I am, what I can tell you is that if you go to Texas and you see the unified command working, You see it, you feel it, and you can sense how they're holding that line at the border for crimes against the state, okay, not immigration. When you come to Arizona, you can be 100 plus miles into this state, and you can see the level of trafficking of drugs, the level of trafficking of people. Or when you drive down Interstate 10 and you make a traffic stop riding with these great law enforcement officers out here, because they don't have a unified command trying to hold the border, you feel that impact a hundred miles into the country it's very it's it's really there I mean you do see it, but you don't hear that in the media very often wow
0: yeah i I do want to end off on looking at fixing the problem uh, and solution, but can I, uh, one other question before I end on that is um there had been a big focus on the war against terror supposed war against terror uh, looking at islamic terrorism has has that deflected? attention and meant that the war on drugs hasn't really been as well financed, hasn't really been as well fought, hasn't been thought through because the focus has been elsewhere.
1: You know, I I think if you go back to 2009 to 2012, when we were watching the Zadis become so violent, I would absolutely say that that's the case. Because at that point, the world was focused on Middle East terrorism, right? Well, the world evolves problems evolve and you don't get the problem you want you get the problem that you get hit with and i was on the ground fighting this problem as nations all over the world were focused on the middle east and i don't take anything away from that we had problems there right Mm -hmm. but when you look at the transition of what these cartels have become the government did not transition that's the true the truth of it and so If you remember back in 2019, when President Trump said, we are going to go after these cartels and we're going to designate them as foreign terrorist organizations. The U.S. intelligence agencies immediately stood up and said, oh, no, we can't do that. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Defense Intelligence Agency, DEA, everybody said, oh, no, we can't do that. Because why? They're all worried about if you designate them as terrorists, who's going to get the budget? Who's going to get the money for that? Who's going to have the authority to go after them? Well, if you push it from from narco uh, drug trafficking into terrorism, well, that's the FBI's model, not the DEA. And who's dominant in Mexico under the under the federal agencies? It's DEA. Look, I I love the men and women of DEA. I'm not bashing them. I've worked side by side with them my whole career. Some of my closest friends are there. But I'm sorry. You get the fight that comes and what impacts the American people and impacts the nation. You don't get the fight you want. And look, I I will tell you, I, I don't hold back anymore. The institutionalized cowardice and failures of leaders in Washington, within the Homeland Security Enterprise, that's a world where I come from. I criticize the hell out of them, Peter, and I do it because they're failing the American people. We should have made tectonic shifts in the United States. We didn't do it. And as a result, you've had 100,000 Americans. And I'm, look, I'm down here meeting with families. I just met with four moms, angel moms, who lost their children. I don't care about these agencies. We can change them. They exist to protect the American people. If they're not going to change, then we will change them. That's how hardcore I'm becoming on this. This What has happened is unacceptable in the United States.
0: Mm. Can Can I move just to look at fixing this? There must be yeah. solutions to this. There must be mm-hmm. ideas that you have, discussions you have. So if when you're looking at actually fixing this problem what kind of solutions do you see that need to be worked through and worked out
1: well there's two major ones uh, well really three let's go with the short run first to save lives and i have said it publicly I, I say it privately and i say it every day and that is we have got to hit the labs we've got to hit the labs right now because in the short yeah. run peter to save lives these labs are massive they're able to produce uh thousands of pounds of methamphetamine they're able to produce millions of pills of deadly fentanyl and by hitting those labs we can reduce that supply very rapidly very quickly so that's the short win there and you do that they're working with the government of mexico side by side And i can tell you that as somebody who has built those programs uh, so that we can have intelligence to drive those operations by the way we know where the labs are that's it's very that's simple that's a phone call that ought to tell you the level of failure happening right now. Second, and very important, is that we have to fix the failed uniform crime reporting system. If a nation cannot understand the impact of transnational crime, how can you focus resources and money of the taxpayers in the right angle to fix a problem? You can't. So you have to be, we have to fix that as well. But the biggest thing we've got to do uh, for the long run is designate these cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. And I'm going to tell you why as the guy that started this entire adventure in twenty seventeen. That's how long I've been at this first. You get three major things out of it in the United States. We have what's known as the Fourth Amendment right Uh, to unreasonable searches and seizures. It our system moves very slow by design. We want it that way in the United States and make sure that every T is crossed, every I is dotted if we're gonna be investigated by our government. But with the terrorism designation, if you are a terrorist, you can't be in the United States. Many of the cartel members that are here, and by the way, we have tens of thousands of them, are here on a legal status because they have money. So they are here on a visa. If you're a terrorist, I can revoke your visa. I can send agents out, pick you up, and you are out of my country. I'm adding speed to the system now. Now I'm not working a two-year case spending tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars or more to get you, arrest you, and then put you in our jails for years to come. Second, if, you're on a, if you are a part of a terrorist organization, I limit your mobility. Now you're not flying international. Now you're not getting on boats to move internationally. So I'm living, limiting your mobility globally, right? And then third and final, and you hear this all the time from these so-called experts. It just drives me batshit crazy, I'm going to be honest with you. They say we've got to go after their money and it mm. sounds good. Here's what they don't tell you. We've been doing that for 20 plus years, Peter. Yep. The problem is the system as an investigator moves very slow by design. If I get the like terrorism designation outside the United States, not domestically, outside the United States, now I can freeze their assets and I can come for them real time. And you would be stunned at the speed with which transnational crime moves. Now, I seize their assets, I take everything from them, and then we come for them. Now, I don't go into network theory. Uh, What what we did previously under law enforcement is we went after the bosses, the capo. They call it the capo theory. And under the Calderon administration and the Nieto administration, that's how we went after them, using law enforcement tactics. With the terrorism designation, we're going to use network theory. And what the network theory, I don't go into it a lot for security purposes, but what I will tell you is that Every cartel is a different type of network. Some are hubs, some are spokes, some are wheels, or just broke up mesh networks. And you go after the key nodes within that network. So what that basically means without going into too much detail is that we're going to come in and we're going to take everything from these, these, the, the cartel leadership, not them first. And when we take everything from them, just like they did so many families in the United States, so many families in Mexico, then we're coming for them. That's how you win.
0: I guess that needs money, and it's easier to spend money on a local hospital or school, which is seen by the public and helps you in your election campaign. That's better politically than it is putting money here where it's unseen. Is, is that part of the problem, lack of financing, or is it purely a lack of organization and joined up thinking?
1: Well, the, the U.S. State Department is responsible for the designation. Um, the Western Hemisphere leadership need to absolutely be fired for what they have done to the American public and for refusing to designate these cartels as foreign terrorist organizations mm-hmm. because of the Mexican government. So it's, it's much bigger than a political issue, uh, to be quite honest with you. There's a lot of changes that are coming to Washington and these federal agencies who have refused to do what needs to be done. I will tell you there's also a, a real lack of understanding of what's taking place in Mexico, but it, it is coming. And I can tell you it's going to change. And it won't be immigration, believe it or not, that's impacting the American people. It will be the overdose deaths of fentanyl and methamphetamine and xylazine, which is coming online right now. The impact of fentanyl to the American public is is, uh, impacting people in the north. So if you're in Washington, you feel that impact from the border right now much more than you do this human smuggling, human trafficking like we do in the south. But the north is going to feel that as well. And it will be the deaths of Americans that's going to drive the terrorism designation of what we're going to do to end the cartels.
0: I think on that, Jason, we'll bring it to a close. I really do appreciate your time coming along and talking to us about a subject that we haven't, don't think, touched on before. So I do appreciate your time today.
1: Yeah, Peter, it's great to be with you. I just want to close with one last thing, and that is to all the folks that are watching this. Don't let anyone tell you for a second that this isn't fixable. This is absolutely fixable. And as somebody that has been stationed on that border, somebody who has built programs to go after them, we know exactly how to do it. The problem is we just haven't had the will and we haven't you know, had the leadership to get it done, but it's coming. Peter, thanks for having me. It's good to be with you today.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Good to end on a positive as well. As sometimes these issues can seem too big uh, yeah. and it's good to realize there is a, a way through it. Um, just for our viewers and listeners as we finish uh, the link there is on the screen jasonjones.com go to his website and on the top right you'll see all the links to different social media so pick your social media of choice and make sure and follow jason and be informed on this all the links are in the description for those listening on podbean or the podcasting apps everything is available in the description so have a look click on it and follow those links and um, and thank you to you're watching at home or for listening great to have you with us and we will be back with you very soon with another interview so thank you for your time and goodbye if you like what we do sign up to our mailing list donate share and
1: subscribe to our many platforms at heartsovoke.org thank you for listening